0: The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast show brought to you by FMF and Ethan. <clears throat> Let's try that again. Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast show brought to you by FMF. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than Ethan Yaudis. Welcome to the show, Ethan. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Hey, not doing too bad. We're up here in Fort McMurray, Canada, uh, Alberta, Canada. It is uh, pretty remote. There's nothing really much around other than uh, oil fields and uh, free desserts at the food hall but uh doing some work up here but we got to continue with the podcast we need to bring the information to the big MX listener fans and uh just last week we talked to uh your your left hand man goes by the name of Aaron Plessinger but I think that guy would be pretty lost without his right hand man goes by the name of yeah. Ethan Yiannis Ethan uh how did, how did sure. you get into the position you're in right now tell us a little bit about yourself and uh and, and where your roots and passion with motocross lie
1: yeah, so I pretty much grew up racing. Me and Aaron have been friends since probably the late 2000s, raced each other in the GMTCs. Um He went to moto. We trained together down at his dad's place, Paradise Off-Road Park in Macon, Georgia. And uh, he pretty much went to the moto scene. I stayed in the off-road scene. Had an injury in 2013 that pretty much set me back to this date, going on my seventh knee surgery. And um, let see here. Aaron gave me a call in 2015 and just asked if I wanted to come out and visit, and he flew me out to California. And then towards the end of that visit, he pretty much offered me a job, said he needed help with a few things, and here I am today.
0: <laughs> here you are basically taking care of uh, of all things – that uh, aren't at least twisting the throttle for a guy like Aaron. Uh, that, that's a pretty big vote of confidence for a guy to uh, call you out and, and offer you a position like that to uh, to cross the T's dot the eyes. And uh, so then from there, I got to ask, what's involved in that in that position? Uh, obviously, uh, meal prep is taken care of by BC Fit Meals, but uh, everything else is kind of falls under your umbrella.
1: Yeah. So pretty much aside from his racing and training. 'm um, taking care of it all whether it's travel i'll do his he does the bc for the uh lunch and dinner i'll take care of his nutrition in the morning and then supplements at the track making sure everything's prepped or like i said our travel his scheduling pretty much everything to make aaron's job so all he
0: really needs to do is show up and get on the bike well, there you go. Get, getting on the bike and making these things, making that thing go uh, ungodly fast is uh, the job of a professional factory rider. And I feel, honestly, that they, they can do the best they can when all they have to worry about is going fast on the motorcycle. They're not worrying about flights. They're not worrying about... Um, all, just your your day to day stuff. They're just focusing on what they need to do, and I think that's when they're at their best. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge to do, doing what you do, as far as uh, like the the gym programs and uh, and basically being being there for for Aaron whenever he happens to need you.
1: Yeah. So most stressful, I would say, is if Aaron's not doing well. A lot of heads kind of turn to me and look for answers. You know. Yeah, that's fun. So that can be a little stressful because, you know, it's like I can take care of everything for Aaron, but I'm not inside his head. You know what I mean? So um, if he's not having a good weekend and I start getting questioned why this, why that, I mean, I don't I don't truly have the answers to it. But try and do my best to make sure that everything's taken care of and that he's, you know, in good spirits and clear mind, ready to do what he needs to do to take care of it.
0: For sure. And now, Aaron seems like the kind of guy that has a pretty laid-back approach to most things. I don't think that he really becomes much of, and I think this this, this term gets thrown away around way too much in motocross, uh, quote-unquote head case as far as racing goes. But uh, what makes the guy tick? Obviously, you've known him uh, for quite a lot longer than most people in the pits. What are some of the things yep. that uh, that that can really kind of get the best out of him not ne- not necessarily uh, what gets under his skin but what what really puts him in a frame of mind that uh, he can make something special out there happen like he did in Seattle which uh, in in my humble opinion he very well could have won the 450 class
1: for sure yeah
0: I mean everything when everything's going
1: smooth and Aaron's in good spirits and has no stress around him that's when he's riding best and when everything's just in place and flows good and, you know, he doesn't have any distractions coming from the outside is when he seems to, seems to do best when he's just having a good time and having fun. Like you said, he's a really laid back dude and he just likes to go out there and have fun on his bike.
0: For sure. Now, like, having a guy like you around, does, do you feel like that kind of uh, can be his his rock a little bit? The guy who um, kind of reminds him of home keeps keeps him like just uh, feeling that uh, like the obviously these these are not local races so to speak, but uh, having a friend, friendly right. face like yours around kind of gives it that feel, is that comfortability that uh, the same guy that's there on Tuesday at the practice track is also uh, handing him a gel prior to uh, the main event.
1: Well, yeah, I think that just having everything as smooth as possible is good. Um, just keeping everything light, and like you said, the comfort thing is huge.
0: For sure, Like, and then on top of that, I know that you work closely with uh, Gareth Swanepoel and close with um, Seth Rarick to uh, basically relay the information that they have for Aaron for his His program, whether that be fitness or nutrition, what he needs to have in his body, because uh, these are their bodies are finely tuned race cars. They need to be fueling properly. They need to be sleeping properly. Uh, And and how do you approach the uh, the delicate subject of telling a uh, a twenty something year old to go to bed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I take it that far.
0: uh, (laughs) like Swan
1: Swanee and Seth are really good guys. You know, Swanee's a genius. He's actually. Swanee's helped me quite a bit in my pursuit of kind of turning myself into a strength coach and working with a lot of athletes now myself. Um, but they, I mean, we pretty much as a whole have a system pretty much dialed. Um, yeah, between Swanee and, and Aaron's meals coming from BC Fit and Tyler Kolesiak helping us out. Um,
0: yeah, it's, it's all good. For sure. And then uh, there's usually some, some puppies in the background uh, cheering people on. Um, like it, it really does sound like there's a team of people behind these racers, uh, helping them get to where they need to be. Um, and your por- portion of it is is not only uh, at the practice track, not only uh, at home, but also on the road. How does uh, the travel come into things? Uh, do you, do you handle most of the arranging of flights and basically the itinerary for every single weekend, which, uh, for most people or for most racers is, is, uh, it's like a five day turnaround. There's there, you're basically, you're on flights, you're off flights, you're, uh, the, you guys fly in on a Friday, you're flying out as or sometimes as early as Saturday night or even, uh, uh, Sunday morning, super early. How do you, how do you schedule that? And how do you know when to schedule those flights? What's, what's best for him?
2: Right, so the
1: team will pretty much give us a schedule of when we have press, Okay, what we need to do leading up to the race. And then I can schedule pretty much shortest time in and shortest time out. Thankfully, we're racing West Coast this year, so we can catch a flight out Saturday night sometimes to try and make the turnaround longer, if you will. Okay. So trying to, to make the time that we're there as short as possible, whether he's got press or whether we're just going racing, so trying to make it as short as possible so that we can have more time here during the week for recovery and, and training.
0: Definitely. And I'll give you an example of early in the season, uh, very early in the year, we were presented with uh, a, little, pretty bit, a little bit of a different uh, a curveball, if you will, of of what most people like. Most series start with most series start start in California and they stay there. Whereas this year, uh, everything led up to Anaheim one, and then pack up, leave, and go to Houston, which of course uh, Aaron won, and was was uh, not only not only had you tagging along, but uh, Little D was uh, was part of the equation as well. Um, tell me a little bit about how that all comes together and uh, kind of the hectic, hecticness of uh, of picking up. And going elsewhere and only to come right back in only a couple of days' time.
1: Yeah, I think it was a good change of pace. I mean, usually it's A1, San Diego, A2,
0: if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yep. But I think it was good to kind of start in Cali, get out, get a break, and then come right back and kind of refresh his things.
0: Definitely, and, and on top of that, like uh, maybe maybe not leave the uh, the Kawasaki, te- or the, not Kawasaki te- test track, the Yamaha test track, but uh, just get out of California as soon as boot camp starts. And once it, once it's done in California, you guys are pretty much stuck there. Not stuck there, but like there's not really getting too much away from that spot. Um, yeah. At this point, do you think Aaron could ride that track blindfolded?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I think he could do it with his eyes closed. We've done so
0: many laps at the test
1: track and the pri you can probably ride by and float it on every track out here. But no, it's good. I mean last last off season we did all his supercross training here and then went east for the summer. We we actually stayed in North Carolina at Cooper Webb's place for uh three months during the summer, but this year we're staying in Cali the entire year. All year. Kind of a bummer, went. but I mean yeah. for the for the situation, um I think that it's best just because the team's here like if Aaron needs to test anything, it can be at the track the same day. Uh, most of the sponsors are out here, so everything's just kind of faster, you know. And when we're in North Carolina, if Aaron wants to try something new, that you know, then it needs to be shipped. He can't try it till the next day and test with it. And then, you know, that process instead of it being one day turns into three.
0: For sure, no, it's it's completely different, and time is of the essence when it comes to uh, getting that bike figured out. And and one of the things that you guys are uh, hard at work right now with in the last two weeks, and I guess the the the, we, the leaks. Uh, weeks leading up to Seattle, the Seattle Supercross being the, the prep for outdoors. I think uh, Aaron's put himself in a good position to take home the, uh, the West title, but uh, all 250 guys want is that the, the outdoor title. They want to be a double champion in, the, in this series in this, uh, in this, this sport. Um, what are the, the changes to his program being in place or uh, put in place to, uh, to, to do exactly that to be best prepared once gate drops in Hangtown where uh, I hope to be, in, uh, exactly one month's time. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess the good thing about racing the West
1: coast supercross is you kind of have a big block where you can train for outdoors when it goes East. So it gives you more time to train for outdoors. Um, and I mean, yeah, the supercross title is awesome. And then it looks, it looks up for us right now, but I know that Aaron's main goal and what he really wants to win is outdoors. So, I mean, he's been putting in the time. I think he's been doing close to eight 35 minute motos a week for the past almost 6 weeks obviously when supercross is uh when supercross is going on he's not riding outdoors that week or he might do one day but he's done I'd imagine close to 38 35 so far Holy which God. is uh
0: which is a lot
1: yeah that's a lot of volume so he's going to be he's going to be ready to
0: go yep he's going to be ready to go there it is and uh so uh for those who don't know, you yourself uh actually know how to uh to uh, actuate a throttle uh, throttle cable. Done so very well and even uh, grabbing ho- grabbing a, a GNCC National Championship in 2011. Um w- yeah. tell me a little bit about uh your racing in GNCC, your successes there and uh unfortunately, yeah, like you're dealing with some knee issues, but uh hopefully uh at some point um you'll you'll not have to feel that knee every time you put it on or put it down. Yeah, for sure. The uh, riding's pretty much been cut short
1: for me since 2013. I raced off-road from probably six years old until gosh, I was about 17 when I got injured. But, no, it was good. I mean, I like you said, I won a title in 2011. I was around some really good guys. I was training with Caleb Russell and Thad Duvall and uh, most of my time, Stuart Baylor, a couple of those guys also. Those guys are really uh, good now. Yeah, no, they're good. <laughs> and uh, they're great. I mean, <laughs> Caleb's like Caleb and Thad are killing it right now. But I mean I think that surrounding myself with them when I was when I was younger, I mean they're obviously probably about five years older than I am, so it was almost like the big brother when I would train with them and they you know, I I think a lot of that championship is credited to them that year. But two thousand and twelve had a decent year, got a top five and then two thousand thirteen the third round Uh, I was testing suspension the day before the North Carolina GNCC tore my ACL, MCL, PCL meniscus all in one shot. And, uh, it's pretty much been an uphill battle from there. I just had my sixth surgery and I have my seventh in, in about six weeks. So it's, it's tough. I mean, it's kind of hard because I'm sure like most racers when you, that's all, you know, your entire life and then it kind of gets stripped from you. You don't really know or have direction, um, so, you know, I did all kinds of different stuff, and then that leading me to the job with Aaron, I kind of was able to channel that energy towards this, and then, you know, you get the same fulfillment if you're still working in the sport, and know that what you're doing is helping your guy, you know, it's kind of the same feeling when they can be on top of the box at the end of the weekend.
0: For sure, Like I got to imagine, uh, just two weeks ago in Seattle, uh, there had to have been a grin plastered across your face, knowing that uh, a lot of the skills... Bike prep and uh, some of the conversations leading up to that main event. Um, that uh, that you had, you would have had a lot of information and, and a lot of expertise with um, just yeah. leading into that ch- that uh, that. That that performance that evening, I gotta feel like um, that. Uh, not to say that win is just as as, as much Aaron's as, as yours, but uh, the fact that uh, I think you were a, kind of a uh, the ace in the hole that was uh, the X factor in being successful in such a demanding track, a track that really uh, threw everybody for a loop. Where uh, the two of you put your uh, your GNCC minds together and uh, came <laughs> up with a recipe for success, and uh, that ex- that's exactly what happened.
1: For sure, and it's always cool when. Uh...
0: It's funny, because when it rains or
1: snows at these races, and and you walk out of the hotel in the morning, and you see all the other riders, and they're kind of, you can kind of tell that everybody's nervous for the race, or they're kind of tripping out because it's going to be muddy, and most of these guys can't ride that, but I think we actually enjoy it more when it is kind of a a shithole, if you will, because that's just what he knows how to ride, and, and I mean, arguably, in my opinion, better than anybody else out there, so... I don't know. I, I honestly feel like when the when the track goes you know, goes downhill like that it's it's an advantage. So the, the race is that that was probably in my opinion the, the smoothest day we've ever had at a supercross race and his easiest win. Yeah. I mean so he won by thirty three seconds, which I'm not sh- I mean you might know this. I'm not sure what the what the what the furthest gap for a supercross win was, but I'm pretty sure that it was close to the record.
0: Uh, 250 class, or I guess 125 class, is held by uh, James Stewart at 38 seconds. Um, 38, yeah. 38, um, and that would have been in 2003, I believe, on the East. Okay, because I know that I was kind of going off. They were, I didn't know if it was as a whole or if it was divided into classes. class, because I know when
1: Marvin won by 30 or 32 seconds a few weeks before in Indiana, mm-hmm. they had said he almost broke
0: the record. And when Aaron had right. a few
1: seconds on that, I was like, man, I hope he got it that that's
0: a pretty big leap man it's
1: almost three oh, quarters
0: of the track that's insane yeah absolutely um and also um there was one particular uh day that was that was daytona where actually ricky broke his own record um where i think i gotta imagine he was he was like in excess of 30, 30 seconds that that actually that that record might have been set at a race that wasn't held by fell therefore they don't Acknowledge it properly, right. but anyway, uh, that's that's a different bag of worms. But either way, an absolutely <laughs> yeah, dominant, of. yeah, that's a dominant performance, and especially like it's not like. Uh, he had a different track to ride on. Every one of those guys is uh, the, a top-flight professional, and uh, they have great teams behind them as well. And uh, he was able to not only rise above, but uh, be quite dominant in doing so. Um, and that, and that uh, I guess, uh, kind of turns most people's questions to the fact that if he was able to do that, like basically have 450-style lap times on a 250, uh, what does uh, next year spell for Aaron Plessinger? What does it spell for uh, for Ethan?
1: I don't uh, I don't exactly know what what the public knows yet, <laughs> but I um, we got some plans. I mean, I think that uh, you'll see Aaron back on a 250 for at least the first half of the year. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Like I, I, I fully that's about learned. all. That's about all I'll say. But I'm not we're not exactly sure what's going to happen uh, heading into outdoors. But uh, okay. I think a lot of it ties into the team and what, what everybody wants in our goals for next year. But uh, I don't I don't think we'll be in that class too long mm-hmm. after next year.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that um, the uh, the star racing Yamaha uh, Yamaloo Rockstar or not Rockstar team uh, Monster team would want Mom. to have their uh, their championship and be able to defend it uh, as best they can, and then uh, for, for outdoors. Yeah, move uh move Aaron who I think is going to be a very gifted 450 rider out to the outdoors uh come hangtown and uh and maybe uh, or maybe even if he's able to wrap the championship up early uh, of course we're just speculating here uh move up as early as Vegas Yeah no
1: I mean that'd, that'd be, be cool, cool. That would be very cool. I think that uh I think he's going to shock the world when he hops on a 450. Hey, has he been oh. practicing on one uh outdoors? Yeah um Typically when they're just doing an outdoor week they'll do about one day a week on a four fifty
0: what, what, like what, what's yeah. the primary reason for that just hard, uh, hardness on the bike it's like uh, obviously riding outdoors on a on a foot, top flight two fifty f is um not conducive to engines lasting very long hey, yeah no they'll they'll do some drills on the two fifty like they'll pull, they'll pull the brake off and
1: pull the brake and clutch off so they don't have uh, they'll do a no no clutch no brake motos. so just helping with technique and and you know, obviously using less brake, less clutch, and
0: makes you a better all-around rider. Fair enough. So last couple of questions before I let you go. Um, brand new team manager full-time for this year, Will Hahn. What does he bring to the table? Where are his many shortcomings, uh, including his him, his shortness? And uh, and what's your relationship <laughs> like with that uh, little midget? With the little midget? Um no will's great i uh I
1: didn't know will before this year and and when he came on board me and him clicked and i think which he clicks with everybody the dudes he's obviously a past champion extremely knowledgeable um you know me and him work closely together obviously because he does a lot of you know he handles most of the stuff for the team as far as scheduling and stuff goes he reaches out to me if someone needs something for Aaron obviously we we have a really good relationship um you know we work we work together daily to to help a p out so, no good. but we'll we'll uh i don't have enough good things to say about him he's a great guy and he he definitely brings a uh positive
0: mood to the table every day so for sure I think he's, that's he's, great. he's a champion he is uh he is he's had the the ultimate or the like he he'd be the like the definition of a journeyman in the, the sport of motocross um privateer champion um injuries off of teams on teams you name it uh yeah, race for a lot the of full, different teams. He's got the full, uh, Yeah. He got the full package. Definitely. He's got he like there's there's nothing that he, that he didn't at least get to to experience firsthand. Uh and that's I think that's valuable once getting to the management side of things and the fact that he's him and his brother uh not to say that they're negative whatsoever but just they're they're realists. They they approach situation uh without sugarcoating things. I think a lot of cases. So I think that's that's a, another uh, kind of arrow in his quiver to to bring to the forward. table. Yeah absolutely nothing sugar-coated it's all
1: laid on the table and you know he fills, the, he fills the gap that was needed
0: absolutely uh so last few questions before you let before I let you go uh some rapid fire questions um are you ready yes sir what is aaron plessinger's favorite flavor of gel what brand do you guys use
1: hammer nutrition peanut butter
0: peanut butter hammer nutrition and um you mentioned that you're the morning nutritionist for Aaron Plessinger, uh, what does he like in the uh, in the morning as far as uh, uh, breakfast? What's he, and what's your specialty to make for him?
1: Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, I'd say. No, well, is healthy or unhealthy?
0: Uh, let's go unhealthy.
1: Unhealthy. Uh, he's probably not going to have me do his breakfast if we're not training that day. He's probably going <laughs> to go grab something elsewhere. Get some biscuits and gravy. He loves that. <laughs> Nothing good for you, but I mean. What he likes, so <laughs> he likes biscuits and gravy, omelets and stuff like that. But if we're at the house and it's a training day, he's pretty good—low carbs, high protein, uh, yeah,
0: just, just the good stuff. He likes just a glass likes, full of exactly raw eggs. Raw yeah, yeah, exactly. He takes about eight eight raw eggs down the hatch. Boom. Um, for yourself, uh, as far as racing goes, uh, tear offs or roll offs? Tear-offs. Off. Tear Tear-offs. Uh, and obviously, you'd be, all, you'd be uh, fully hooked up with all the, uh, if you were still riding, or if you do end up still riding, you'd be hooked up head to toe in some beautiful cat gear from Thor. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not too into that. We've, uh,
1: we've kind of created a, uh, I think that gear is not, not very good luck for Aaron, because
0: anytime he's worn it, he hasn't done the hottest. There you go. Um, we're not, uh, I don't think I'd be wearing the cat gear either. Fair enough. Not not to be. You got to be kidding me with that cat gear. Um, but yeah. um, last question before I let you go. Um, where do you, Where's your like kind of? Where do you? Where's your five year plan as far as your position goes uh, with with the sport of motocross? Where Where are we going to see each other in the pits in five years when I'm still asking sixteen year olds how their bike setup is and you're doing what?
1: Well, I've kind of. I guess I haven't shifted my focus again, but in um, the off-season of this year, or maybe, yeah, it was off-season last year, Aaron had an ankle surgery, pretty much put him out for three months. And rather than sit around and do nothing, I went and enrolled myself at the uh, National Academy of Sports Medicine. So I've been studying, uh, studying training, kinesiology, and sports, you know, sports therapy and all that stuff. And my five-year plan is to be working with working with the athletes, being a strength coach. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm, you know, I'm writing programs for some off-road riders. Um, and, you know, obviously working when I'm not with Aaron, I'm at the W training facility as a strength coach. And, uh, you know, I plan to take that to the next level and be, you know, one of the top, top trainers in the industry. I'm just trying to do it right and go through the steps and, and, you know, really educate myself before I dive in
0: fully. You know what I mean? Totally know what you mean, my friend. Ethan Yadis, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. You're going to have to be a repeat offender because you did a great job today. I really appreciate you coming on the show to give us the full rundown of, of your position uh, with Aaron and the Star Racing uh, Monster Yamaha Yamalube Yamaha 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 team. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't can't thank you enough, my friend. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Brad. Absolutely, and also a special thank you to Brock Tickle for loaning us this phone because, for whatever reason, Skype wouldn't let you call you on yours. Yeah,
1: we have to get him on soon too. That you guys would have a good conversation.
0: Hey everyone, let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. In motorsports, the action pulls us in, and often we never get close enough to the exhilaration and athletes that amaze us. Although trackside seats are available. Nothing gets you closer to motocross and supercross action than the Collective Experience. Dave Drakes has created an exclusive opportunity to get you closer to the sport you love so much. If you want an all-access experience with Adam or Tyler Knapp, Henry Miller, John Ames, or even the cat, AJ Catanzaro, you need to check out the Collective Experience today. TheCollectiveXP.com as well as the collective EX on Instagram is where you can find the collective experience. Do so immediately. The collective experience. Nobody gets you closer. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a that's what I used to think. Now I start out every morning with a bowl of Ambigos for extreme kids like us.
1: Serial Bees,
0: and goes. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat ball.
1: What's up, guys? It's Bruce Cook here with Nitro Circus. We're coming to Kelowna, B.C., May 25th, for the next level tour, and I'm so stoked to see you there.
0: The most action-packed event on the planet is back, bigger and crazier than ever before, with the largest ramps you've ever seen. Nitro Circus, the global youth entertainment phenomenon returns to North America this year with the epic Next Level Tour. This spectacular brand new production, an all moto adrenaline rush, will have death-defying tricks, jaw-dropping world's firsts, and absurd stunts. It all adds up to a thrilling show simply too big to fit indoors. The Next Level Tour launches mid-May, just in time for summer, and will visit over 10 cities across the continent through June. Brainchild of Travis Pastrana, global superstar, action sports icon, and Nitro Circus ringleader, the Next Level Tour features the best athletes in action sports taking on the biggest ramps in the world. The Nitro Circus design team has put it all in the line with this show, doubling down on the risk factor. The FMX Next Level Takeoff Ramp alone, a towering 15 feet above the show floor, a whopping 5 feet taller than any ramp toured before, will launch riders more than 60 feet into the sky. The landing ramp also looms large, standing 23 feet in height. The Nitro Circus next level tour will include several athletes, including Bruce Cook, Jared McNeil, Jared Duffy, Blake, Bilko Williams, and many more. For more information, visit nitrocircus.com.
2: Hey guys, it's Fly Racing's
1: Justin Braden, winner of the 2018 Daytona Supercross. You're
0: listening to the Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio podcast show brought to you by Matrix Concepts Canada and FMF. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got one of the top techs over at Team Pro Circuit, Monster Energy, Kawasaki, goes by the name of Brandon Zimmerman. Brandon, how's it going?
2: Very well, Brad. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, It's a beautiful day here in Winnipeg. How are things down in SoCal? Sunny and 75 as always?
2: You nailed it. It is exactly sunny and 75 here in SoCal.
0: Hey, I'm not doing too bad. Well, it's pretty easy to to predict. You guys don't really have too much of a variance in temperature, not like Winnipeg, where at one point we'll be as high as 90 and we get as low as minus 50. But uh, um, (laughs) I got to know you by uh, kind of just lurking around the truck and like, bothering you at the races, uh, hanging around Pro Circuit. So uh, before we get into uh, your work and stuff like that, uh, clue us in a little bit on uh, the exchanges that we've had as I come over and uh, uh, critique your work uh, in and around the Pro Circuit pits.
2: Oh, yeah, you always come over and, you know, you like to uh, go over my bike for me and let me know all the mistakes I've made and uh, all the bubbles in my graphics. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that because someone's got to be looking out for me. You know, so I, can, so I can be on top of my game. Hey, I'm so just trying I am to glad you better, around. <laughs> and, you know, and besides all that, you also take amazing photographs of the bike, so I appreciate that as well.
0: Well, you guys do nice work. As much as I like to critique, you guys uh, prepare some of the nicest looking bikes in the pits. Uh, all of the mechanics do, and uh, if you can get some some high uh, high end uh, high end photos of your work, that's all for the better. And you get to just look uh, when you're older, you can look back at those photos and look at the detail that uh, you guys are so meticulous in in making a race bike. And then, of course, uh, the racers go out onto the motocross track and smash it all over the track. But uh, prior to them Absolutely going out there, the it. thing looks great. Um, like, uh, let's stay on the topic of, of preparing a motorcycle for race day. Uh, what are the essentials to getting the race bike ready? Uh, say from, from Monday all the way up till, uh, just moments before it rolls onto the line, uh, for first practice, first untimed practice on Saturday morning.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, Monday would be a normal shop day, so that'll be our day to kind of prep some little parts and, um, get some of the little items prepared and ready. Uh, It could be stickering up plastic if you don't have a set stickered up or maybe cutting your chain, just little things to get prepared. And then uh, that brings us into Tuesday and that's always like our engine day. So from the previous race, we'll pull the engines out and ship them back to our shop at pro circuit. And Tuesday is pretty much we devote our whole day to disassembling the race engine, going through and looking at every single part and piece and uh basically rebuilding it back to new or like new. And then uh they always get dynoed at the end of the day to ensure everything's up to par and then we box them up that night and they'll ship out the next morning to wherever the next race is. And then uh on Wednesday, Wednesday's more of like a same thing, more like a prep day. Try to maybe you'll go out to the track with your guy if he's in town or you'll work on other projects, practice bikes, practice engines, things like that. And then Thursday, we always fly to the race. Um, unless it's an outdoor series, in which case we fly on Wednesdays, and Thursdays we'll rebuild our bike at the next event. So and then, we'll we'll um, actually build yeah. it there. Yeah, um most always for outdoors we're building at the next event on Thursday in the parking lot of the hotel.
0: Wow, parking lot of the hotel is where you're going to re- rebuild that race bike for an outdoor national. So then I ask you, what is the the role of a an outdoor mechanic or a a race bike mechanic uh between Monday and and Wednesday back at the shop? Uh if you're if you're not if you're not rebuilding that bike there, uh I guess it's uh, trim the chain uh ship out the motor and then what?
2: yeah i mean there's there's never a shortage of things to do um, The most important day of the week uh in my mind is is, is Tuesday because that's our engine day, making sure everything's perfect with the engine and then our our next most important day is uh bike build day when we you know completely go through the entire bike and uh, reassemble everything and make it all fresh again um so yeah it, during the outdoors we're lucky if we just get pretty much one day it's Monday to do any kind of extra work or prep anything or be prepared for the next race or the one after that and so forth.
0: Fair enough. So what would you say is the most challenging part of all that? And what would you say is the most uh, enjoyable part of, uh, of rebuilding and, and putting this thing back together? Cause uh, like I've said a hundred times, these things are works of art once they uh, roll out of the truck on Saturday mornings.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we take a lot of time to, to make sure everything not only looks good and appealing, but also is um, up to par uh, mechanically and to just to ensure there's no issues for our guy on Saturday. So, I mean, as far as uh, the toughest part, I mean, you know, disassembling and cleaning everything is probably the worst part. I mean, it's super time consuming, especially with uh, we have a bare aluminum frame. So it takes a long time to get all the scratches out and uh, to bring everything back to, like, that factory shine. And that takes a long time. And sometimes different, there's different dirts at different venues, and sometimes they put, you know, something like lime in the dirt if they think there's going to be rain. And certain things like that can really, uh, you know, etch the, the metal on our bikes, and it takes a long time to, to clean them all up and make them look good. And then, you know, that same thing with, like, the wire harness. You know, dirt gets everywhere. So we go through every single connector and check every wire connection and just make sure everything's tip top and clean. Um, As far as like my favorite part, you know, it's got to be just, you know, getting closer to the end of the build. You know, you're, you're the bike starting to come together and it goes from being a frame sitting on the, on the stand to, you know, a bike in a matter of a few hours. And it's just, it's pretty cool when you, you get the plastics on it and it's, you realize this thing's coming together and you're just getting close to the race.
0: So how, how how has your uh, method to the madness kind of changed over the years? You've had a ton, you've worked with a, a number of different teams, different bikes. Uh, you've owned a ton of different bikes as and working on them. Um, how how has your kind of approach to tearing down and putting back together changed as you pick up tr- uh, like tricks to the trade? Uh, and like if you were to like, kind of look back at uh, the 2011 uh, Brandon Zimmerman's work uh, in comparison to where you're at now, uh, like how, how how have you improved?
2: uh i've changed drastically since since 2011 or before um you know coming on to the the pro circuit race team you know these guys they're winners and they've got so many things figured out um it's all about trying to do things efficiently and and not necessarily as quick as you can but the most efficient the way that that's smartest so um you know back in the day when i would take my bikes apart i would i would just start taking parts off And, you know, if you're not careful, the bike falls off the stand. Um, But, you know, these guys, they've got their own methods and ways to, you know, there's a proper way to disassemble your motorcycle. And and then there's a complete different way to reassemble it, um, you know, so that it flows into one direction. And, of course, it's also balanced on the stand. And, uh, you know, it's it's great being able to work here. And you learn so many new things. And, um, you know, it's just, I've... I've come miles from who I used to be. And it just all comes with time and and being open to learning uh, different ways and methods.
0: Well, for sure, and I imagine that you'd be learning a lot from uh, guys like Ollie Stone, guys like John Promo. What's the um, what's the kind of um, relationships like in the the shop? Obviously, you guys do a ton of work um, every single day, and you're working pretty close together. It's kind of a bit of a cohesive unit. Uh, how do you all get along, and uh, how how much do you all just pick on uh, Kyle Defoe for not only being the shortest human being that's ever lived, um, but also uh, talking like He's from Minnesota where he's no long he's 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 for sure there right now. Uh and that that uh yeah. his his accent is ever thickening every moment that he's in that uh weird state.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um Kyle's great. We uh Kyle's the, the newest member of our team. He works for oh, sure. Martin Davalos. Um we 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 love Kyle. He uh we get along really great. We all do. We all we all are pretty tight knit. I mean, like you said, we work together pretty close side by side. Uh, all day every day sometimes, and um, we uh, we have a great great relationship. This is the best um, you know team that we 've had uh, in a while in recent years, and everybody just clicks and everybody we 're all friends and we enjoy hanging out with one another at work and out of work and uh, it 's just it 's great I really wouldn 't want to be anywhere else with any other people uh, everybody's willing to help and uh, you know jump in to help the next guy and Everybody is always, you know, there with uh, suggestions and uh, new ideas, and everybody just wants to help, and everybody wants to win, and it's just it's awesome. It doesn't matter if it's your guy winning or the next guy. Everybody's down to help to make sure the team as a whole wins, and that's great. And Kyle, uh, he's awesome. We love giving him, uh, giving him crap and making fun of his accent and uh, all that. He's, he's great. He takes it like a champ.
0: For sure, yeah. He he, uh, um, takes it in stride. I think like he can't do anything about the height, and I don't think he won't do. He, he just he won't do anything about the way he talks. It, it's it's uh, I think he probably kind of relishes in it. Just like that, that's what that's his X factor. That's what makes him different. Um, uh, but uh, we love him for it. Actually, the guy absolutely whooped up on me as we were racing as kids, uh, and then eventually uh, he set sail to uh, to make something of his, himself. And honestly, I talked to him about six months ago, and uh, a, a long time ago, his uh, his goal was to land on the team that he's on right now, and uh, that's pretty amazing. I gotta imagine that the feeling similar for you when you eventually became a full time race mechanic, uh, spinning the wrenches for Adam um at at Pro Circuit. That's kind of the uh, that's the aspiring brand, if you will, as far as uh, coming to uh, a specific team uh, in the Lights class or any class.
2: Yeah, for sure, it's something you 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 think about, you dream about. And you, you want it to happen so bad, but you really don't know how to make it happen, and you don't know if it will ever happen. Uh, it's such a tough industry to get into, let alone to get onto a top team working for a top rider, and uh, it, it's super tough. But you know, certain situations align sometimes, and uh, you're you're blessed to uh, get that opportunity, get that call, and yeah, I'm so grateful every day that I, I get to come do what I love at this amazing place where so many championships have been bred and so many race wins. And it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: So what about the added pressure with coming onto that team? Obviously you got the, uh, the guy in the chair that's uh, cracking the whip, but all obviously, uh, a, a door full of championships, uh, that have, uh, have gone on even since you landed there. Uh, that's, that's pretty serious.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I had it a little different than most guys coming onto the team I worked as Adam's practice bike mechanic for close to four years. So, you know, coming on, I knew the bike fairly well as from, a, from a normal maintenance standpoint. And plus, I myself used to ride Kawasaki's all the time. So I knew the bike well, and I was able to build a good relationship with Adam uh, in Florida as his practice mechanic. And when I was able to come onto the team, all that stuff was easy, and it kind of transferred over. And from there, I just had to learn just more of, like, the, the pro circuit way of how they do everything from, uh, you know, rebuilding the engines and uh, things like that. But like I said before, all the guys here are so willing to help the new guy. So it, it was a pretty easy transition. I mean, the pressure's there, but I've also I'd been with Adam for so long that it wasn't that bad. You know, in the beginning, you're just you're worried that you – you know, did everything correct with the engine and you inspected your wire harness completely. And once you get into the routine of week in, week out, building the bike and building the engine, you just, you get into a flow where, you know, confidence just, it just comes naturally, I think.
0: There you go. Now, uh, practice bike mechanic is a very important role, and you've played it uh, at different times in your career, but uh, also a race bike mechanic uh, for the Hart and Huntington uh, team when they were Kawasaki's, as well as Zach Freeberg when he ran the 86 for the uh, strict uh, Slayton racing. Um, Unfortunately, you had the the displeasure of working with the Slaytons, which is whatever. Um, But uh, tell me a little bit about your time prior to uh, spinning the wrenches for PC
2: all right well um yeah i mean i i worked at a dealership back home for several years uh normal you know working on off-road bikes uh four-wheelers uh street bikes the whole the whole deal and did that for quite a while and but always wanted to try to branch out into the moto and that's when i was able to get the opportunity to be a race mechanic race mechanic for the hard huntington team when they were on kawasaki's and uh that worked out well for me it was just it was a short, short gig, but I learned so much already, just from that, and uh, because of that, I was able to link up with with Adam and do his uh, practice bike stuff. But right before I landed that with Adam, i worked uh, I've kind of been all over you know I worked for a suspension shop f c r suspension in uh, Ohio, and uh, they gave me a great opportunity to do uh, you know learn all about suspension rebuilding shocks and forks and uh, a lot of machine shop skills working with lathes and, um, all that. And that was good for me. We did a lot of trackside support. So you're working on all kinds of different makes and bottles, um, all kinds of different scenarios that came up at the racetrack. Uh, that was really good. And then, uh, yeah. So after that I worked for Adam as his practice mechanic for quite a while, four years. And during that time, you know, of course I don't like to bring it up, but Adam had quite a few injuries and, um, through, through his injuries, uh, it allowed me to work for some of uh, Adam's close friends like Zach Freeberg and uh, Zach Cummins. So I did uh, I did several races with uh, Zach Cummins. We did Red Bull Straight Rhythm and the uh, Daytona Amateur uh, Ricky Carmichael Race. Um, Zach Freeberg, a really good friend of mine, and Adams. We did all of West Coast Supercross in 2015, I believe. And, um, that was a good time. It was just low stress, but you know, we still worked hard and we had fun with it and it was a good time. And then, uh, yeah, you know, living in Florida, working on Adam's bikes, you know, every once in a while you get, uh, somebody else needs some help. Like, um, you know, I helped out Marvin Musquin a few times with his practice bikes and Jason Anderson, of course, when we were all at the, uh, the, uh, Baker's factory there in Florida. Yes. So, you kind of bounce around a little bit.
0: So, you would have been involved in that uh, Franken KTM that was like that absolute Franken bike that was pro-circuit suspension, I think pro-circuit triple clamps, all kinds of weird stuff on that KTM for Zach Cummins bike in 2015.
2: Actually, no. um, When I worked for Cummins,
0: it was the year
2: year before. It was like the year before. So, he was still on... Uh, essentially, a, a Pro Circuit uh, Kawasaki bike okay. at that time, luckily.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> now, uh, two things before I let you go. Um, every time that you've happened to be featured on uh, Mr. Adam Ciencerillo's vlog, uh, you always have earbuds in. Uh, I've got to ask what kind of music you listen to and whether or not Adam's uh, questionable taste in music rubs off on you. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I've been, Adam and I, I've been working with Adam for. A long time now, I think since 2013 and we've we also used to live together in here in California, so his music taste for sure has rubbed off on me uh, we listen to we used to listen to a lot of the same stuff anyway, but he can influence me pretty quickly because um, he'll just play songs over and over again and then it gets stuck in my head but um but yeah when we're when we're in the shop we're building our engines or if we're building our race bikes, um, we all tend to put earbuds in that way we can just kind of zone out and focus on you know what we have in front of us and uh you know i like all music it varies uh different times but right now it's it's a pretty good mixture of heavy metal and uh like rap just normal rap music okay so i listen to a lot okay,
0: of in, in in your, uh, your earbuds uh,
2: or what a little bit newer stuff um i like uh ASAP Rocky, Machine Gun Kelly, uh, Logic, guys like that. And then as far as like the heavy metal stuff, I like uh, some pretty hard stuff like tilt switching gauge or, um, you know, uh, Avenged Sevenfold, things like that, things that get me amped up.
0: Well, there you go, and, and that's interesting to hear. Um, uh, you'll be happy to know that uh, almost all of the Terra Firma soundtracks are on Spotify, as well as the entire soundtrack to Revelation 199, which, if you're anywhere near my age, you watched that video until you broke it uh, as a kid. I watched so, it
2: over and over, over and over and again. again. Yes.
0: So, uh, yeah, love
2: go. the soundtrack, love the movie.
0: Get on Spotify if you ha- if you- if Brandon you have it or if any of my listeners have it, get on there and listen to that uh, that soundtrack from beginning to end. It just sounds like motocross to me. Like half the songs don't even really have me anything too. to do with motocross, but to me, I'm just watching the video in my head while I listen to it.
2: Yeah, exactly, I feel the same way with all the the old moto movies, the soundtracks. It just it just goes with moto so perfect.
0: Yes, sir. Now, last thing before I let you go, and I'm taking you five minutes longer than I said I would, and you still have to eat lunch. Um, No problem. But uh, you used to spin wrenches for Stu. Yes, that's Stu. James Stewart, practice bike mechanic. Tell me everything you're allowed to say.
2: Uh, Actually, no, I I have not uh, worked for Stuart. What?
0: No, not me. You're making things up now. Someone, either you made some, you're making something up, or someone's making something up.
2: No, I mean we we had a guy here on the team that that used to work for Stu. He's moved on now, but, but uh, not me.
0: I don't know. I think I I was told this. So.
2: <laughs> I think I gave you the rundown. Um, yeah, not not for me.
0: Fair enough. Well, uh, that, that just blows the whole end of my interview. But uh, um, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to let you down. Either way. No, I, I could have swore that was you, but maybe it was someone else. Um, fair oh, enough. Actually, you
2: know what? Um, we, we had a, a practice mechanic for Adam, and he actually worked for Stuart, uh, Malcolm Stewart before uh, ah. coming to work for Adam. That's probably it. And his name as well is Brandon. But um, he has since uh, moved on to uh, a different profession. So.
0: Fair enough. Well, I got my Brandons mixed up possibly, but uh, then then if you, you can't tell me about uh, uh, James Stewart, at least tell me about the KX two fifty two stroke that you used to own because I have one. You've raced one, <laughs> and how you ever got it to turn properly?
2: Um, you know what? I didn't. I just kind of, I just manhandled it, man- it and, and and I just I just gave it throttle and tried to hang on. Uh, those things were fast.
0: There you go, absolutely. Uh, how often do you get people asking you about Pro Circuit uh, two-stroke tidbit, like uh, bits and pieces that might be hanging around the shop, um, which are pro- most likely extremely scarce nowadays?
2: Yeah, very scarce. We do have, I mean, we've got quite a bit of uh, old stuff. Mitch doesn't like to throw anything away um, from any year, so we have tons of parts. But uh, luckily, a lot of people don't um, come to me uh, with two-stroke-related uh questions or needs and and i'm glad because i don't want to be the bearer of bad news um but yeah there are other mechanics here who get hit up all the time about trying to get you know the the, the bling stuff the uh, the engine covers the magnesium engine covers or uh magnesium parts or carbon fiber stuff and it's just it's stuff we don't sell and uh it's completely up to mitch if he decides to sell something or give it to uh a friend of the team or or what have you
0: no kidding, yeah, and that stuff is coveted like no other. Uh, There's a lot of huge fans of the team growing up. Uh, I, know, uh, I know I made my bikes look about as close as I could to them growing up, a bit of a fanboy as far as that was concerned in my mid-teens. But sure. uh, Brandon, it's lunchtime, and I know that you want to get something to eat before you uh, get back to spinning the wrenches. I really appreciate you making some time, and uh, I think we're going to have to have you on again, on again, my friend.
2: Yeah, anytime. Let me know.
0: Definitely, we'll definitely we'll do it, and uh, I'll text you a link to this as soon as it's out. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there.
2: Yeah, that was all right.